Father, thank you for this morning just again. This is your idea that we come together uh, once a week and just stop and be with you together. Help us to hear your voice again today through the rest of this time and uh, put aside all the stuff we brought and just be here with you. I just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I actually, uh, I brought a kitchen timer just to protect all of you this morning. I have um, two questions to begin with this morning for us here. Uh, Fairly similar questions, but you'll see. The first question is this. First question is, who are you? And the second question is, who are you? Which you can see is fairly similar. But try to keep those straight for the sermon, if you would. They're both uh, questions of identity, obviously. And uh, as I was preparing this, I was thinking, who do I know who really has a clear sense of their identity? Who comes to my mind? And uh, I know I should say Jesus because it's Sunday and everything. But really, Superman is who came to my mind personally. Uh, Who disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered metropolitan newspaper reporter, fights a never-ending battle Well, you can see it goes on here. But Superman, it was really, I practiced that several times, too, to say mild-mannered metropolitan newspaper reporter. But Superman is great because he always, you know, even though he was disguised as Clark Kent, he always really knew he was Superman. I actually always knew he was Superman, too. I watched it every day of my life when I was, you know, eight or nine. Um, But... Uh, I raised that one just because uh, my observation over these years is just that so many of us as Christians wander around through our lives really not very clear on who we are, uh, which I think really short circuits a great many things. And so uh, as we come to Philippians 1 this morning, I just wanted to begin this way to, uh, to get us to look at this first chapter through this lens of who are we? And the question, do you know who you are? And the second question, who are you? (laughs) Similar. Let's read Philippians 1 together here. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together with one accord for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now uh, see I still have. A long passage here to read, but uh, my first uh, question here with us is, what did we just read? What did we just read? The answer is we just read the beginning of a letter, a letter that Paul wrote to uh, this group of people, the Philippians. Now, I know that there may be several people here who have never seen an actual letter, so I brought one this morning just to help everybody. This is what's called a letter. It's paper, and somebody took a pen and uh, wrote on this, It says, Dear Len and Mary, at the beginning of it. And it's signed Jim at the end. It's six pages long, handwritten letter. Uh, How many of you have gotten a six-page handwritten letter anytime recently, by the way? Jim and I have been writing letters to each other for years and years now, actually. Uh, And this letter is always significant to me when I get it. We, We just write every couple weeks here back and forth to tell each other what's happening, but Jim is a good friend that I met mm, 30 years ago, I suppose. He was on InterVarsity staff with me back in the southeast, 
Uh, Jim was the area director, so he was my supervisor. He was a mentor. He's a friend. Uh, he and his wife, Pam, live in North Carolina, and they're just very special people to me. And when I, when I get Jim's letter, I'm always very interested to hear what he's saying, um, especially because he's, uh, he's not just an accountant. He really is a missionary in his whole life, and I love to hear what God is doing through him. And when uh, the Philippians received this letter from Paul, it was very similar uh, in that sense. When they read this, and when they read this beginning that we just read, where he thanks the Lord for them, he tells them how much he misses them, what's happening to him in jail right now, and, and encourages them to live a life worthy of the gospel. When they read these things from Paul, they would soak up what uh, he said here. Because he was special. He was the founding pastor of their church. Uh, he had moved on, but he's visited a couple times at least since the beginning of those first days. But when they read this, they would see his face, just like I see Jim's face. They would hear Paul's voice, and they would remember the past. They would remember when he first showed up, and the first person in the church who met him was Lydia, because Paul went down by the river and met Lydia and a group of, uh, of the other women and uh, told them the story about Jesus. And they believed, and that was the beginning. And then he spent some time in Philippi with them, preaching. Lydia called her friends together. Paul talked to all of them. He preached in the streets. After a while, there was an incident when he uh, demanded that a demon leave this slave girl who was following them around, uh, telling everybody that they were from God. And that caused a big ruckus, and so they hauled them before the magistrates and ended up being beaten and thrown in jail. And the Philippians remembered that while he was in jail, there was an earthquake. And uh, the Lord really opened the doors of the jail, and then how their friend, who's now in the church, was the jailer back then. And he became a Christian, and he was one of the founding members of their church. What a great way to begin your church. But as they would read this letter, they remember all that. And these words are significant to them because they're from Paul. And I could almost imagine, as I was reading this, what would it have been like for maybe a, a wife to go home and tell her husband what the letter said that day because the husband was sick. Maybe he couldn't be at, at the at the church gathering, and so she told him, oh, there was a letter from Paul today that we read. And he would say, oh, what was the news? And says, well, is he still, how is he? I say, well, actually he's doing really well. He's really <laughs> encouraged. Things are just, a lot of people are hearing the gospel, uh, but he's in prison again. Oh, um, you know, how is that? Well, prison is never really good, of course, but he says everybody in jail knows why he's there. And apparently he's talked to all the guards also and told them about the Lord, too, in the process. Uh, he never seems to change. He continues to just do this everywhere he goes, obviously. Uh, you know, you can always count on Paul. And it seems like the Lord is using him to encourage not just uh, things in the prison, but a lot of the, the brothers and sisters in the town are sharing their faith now, too, because of his example in the prison. So he's excited about that, and 
And he, he said he really, I, there was some discouragement in a sense. It sounded like he would, really, he would really like to move on and be with the Lord. But he really believes that the Lord's going to deliver him again, just like he has so many times. And he expects to see us again and come back again to be with us. And when they read that, when they read those words from Paul, heard the news about him, heard what he was doing, what did they hear? What did they hear? Just like when I read Jim's letter here, I hear more than just what's happening with Jim and Pam. And the Philippians heard more than simply what Paul was doing. They heard who they were at the same time. They heard what they were supposed to be doing because Paul was the example. Paul embodied what they had decided to become, followers of Jesus. And followers of Jesus were people on a mission. Followers of Jesus had a purpose that they were pursuing. Uh, Again, when I read Jim's letter, it always strikes me because he's an accountant. Uh, He's not a missionary in the classic sense. Spends his days adding and subtracting. I think that's all accountants do. do they, is there any more to it, really, Elaine? I, that seems like the basic job. But, uh, but then he's always telling me who he is discipling these days and uh, what Sunday school class he's teaching or uh, what they're doing in town with uh, some mission that's going on with a homeless shelter or something. But every time I get Jim's letter, uh, it encourages me again in terms of who I'm supposed to be. He's always been an example for me. And on top of that, with the Philippians, Paul adds some comments here to reinforce that idea for them. In uh, verse 5, he calls them partners in the gospel. They've been partners since the first day until now, he says. And that refers partly to the fact that they've sent money to him to help him. But it says more than that. It says about what they have been doing, the work they've carried on and continued in Philippi after he left. And he talks at the end of this this section that we read about striving side by side for the gospel. He's excited that they're still doing that. And he wants them to continue. He's a missionary And he wants them to continue to be missionaries as well where they are. Well, at this point, I'm ready to stop and answer question number one. Who are you? And you notice that was different than question number two. Who are you? The first question, probably many of you, since you're very clever, have realized that if I was in the South, I would have said, Who are you all? Because the you is plural in my mind at this point. Who are you as a group, in a sense? Because the latter is written not to a person, but to a group of people. It's written to a church. Uh, We're Americans, so we tend to read all of this Bible individually as if it's written just to us. But Paul wrote it to a church. And in his mind, the church, the group of people in Philippi, was a mission team, a mission outpost. Uh, It was an organization that was supposed to be salt in that community and really make a difference. And I think the Philippians reading this saw themselves as a mission also in Philippi. Uh, Have you ever heard of the Underground Railroad? 
I thought that was a good one from Lawrence, Kansas. The Underground Railroad was a group of people who had a mission. They were organized to free the slaves and bring them north. And one of the stops was here in Lawrence, Kansas. Part of that group of people was here. They risked their lives to help the slaves escape. Have you ever heard of the Tea Party in this last election cycle? It's a group of people who really want to change the course of the American government. And they're actually having some success in doing that. But the Tea Party stands out to me as a group of people who really know who they are and what they're about, and they're trying to accomplish that. Have you ever heard of the revolutionaries in Libya who have dubbed their part of Libya Free Libya these days? It's a group of people who know what they're doing, and they're giving their life to accomplish this. Uh, Have you ever heard of the church? The church is to be a group of people who really know who they are and who have a purpose and are uh, living to accomplish that. One of the metaphors, there are many metaphors for the church in Scripture, but one in uh, Peter's letter is this holy nation, a kingdom of priests. And the image is that we've been selected by God to represent him out of all the people in the world. The church is to represent the Lord to the world. We're his spokesmen. We're his ambassadors. We're his instruments in the world to do his work uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit and to continue the work that Jesus began here. That's what we as a group are to do, to continue that work. Uh, And when Paul wrote this letter, this group of people again remembered who they were. My question is for us this morning at this point is, what is our vision for Grace EPC? What is your vision, you all? What is your vision for this church? Do you have a vision for this church? Or are you simply living sort of an individualistic Christianity here when you think of these things? What do you expect out of grace? What do you hope this church will accomplish? What do you want it to accomplish? Um, In one sense, you could say, what do you want this church to accomplish internally uh, among us? in the body itself? What do we hope will happen in the midst of our our congregation? Or you can think outside of this. What do you expect us to accomplish in this community? What difference? If you took grace away, just erased us from Lawrence, would it make any difference? Do we expect to make any difference beyond just ourselves here ultimately? Uh, I always say again and again to the the leaders of the International Friends, the, the Christian group with international students on campus, that we are not a religious club. And grace is not to be a religious club. It's not just a, an event that happens once a week on Sunday. Uh, we're not a ritual or a safe place. We're supposed to be a mission team. A group of people with a real purpose. Personally, I really want to be part of a church 
that is the sort of dynamic experience that Jesus outlines in Scripture. I want to be part of a group that is going somewhere and doing something. Uh, each year we send our students to uh, our, what is it, the junior high or high school students to the New City Fellowship in St. Louis. Uh, it's a church. That, uh, why do we send students there? We send students there because we want them to see a church that really has a very specific defined mission and who is doing it. They've chosen the poor people in the midst of one part of St. Louis, and they're really reaching out to that group of people. That's their mission. They have tutoring for children. They rebuild houses. They organize communities. They support teachers. They do all sorts of things. What do you want out of grace? Uh, What do we hope will happen in our church? Our mission team here. And that flows into the second part or the second question that uh, I raised at the beginning here. And that is, who are you? And that being a singular you at this point. Because obviously a team of people is made up of individuals. And what our team accomplishes uh, is dependent on what we each do here. Uh, Again in Peter... He describes the church as the temple of God, and he says that each of us are living stones in the temple. And the temple is built out of us as living stones. Uh, And Paul, when he talks about the church, talks about it being the body of Christ. And so each of us is a hand or an eye or a foot or a part of the body. And each of us has a role to play, has something to do within this The image is that we are a fellowship here at Grace, but we're a fellowship of missionaries. We're a fellowship of missionaries. Each of us is called to do what we are called to do as a corporate group as well. And I think it's wonderful in one sense that it doesn't matter what your stage in life is at this point. It doesn't matter what your economic situation is. Uh, It doesn't matter if you're really handsome or, you know, none of that matters. Just we are missionaries. It doesn't even matter if we're suffering right now and if we're struggling in our own life because a lot of times, of course, some of our best ministry is done when we're suffering And people can identify with our suffering. It brings us intimate in a way that many other things do not ultimately. Uh, But there are three things that emerge out of this first uh, part of Paul's letter uh, about us being missionaries individually that I just want to highlight for us that I think are interesting. And the first one is uh, right at the beginning of the letter. He says, to the saints in Christ Jesus. Bill actually spent some time last week defining the word saint. Uh, I want to say that there are two parts to that at least, though, again. One is that we're set apart. We're holy. We're set apart for a special use. And the other idea is that we are holy. There's a quality to us that we're obligated to be also. Uh, a type of life we're to be in. Paul mentions in verse 9 about their love abounding more and more. 
And he mentions about being pure and blameless in verse 10. And in verse 11, he talks about this harvest of righteousness. The idea here is that as saints, who we are is a big part of our mission. Who you are day by day is a, is a central part of how you carry out your mission. It's one of the key elements. It's, in a sense, the tool that you have most immediately. We are to demonstrate the gospel to the people around us. We're a model somehow of what's so good about Jesus, what's so good about following him. Uh, This is certainly true in our ministry with international students over at KU. I think it's true for all ministry. but, But for the international students, the thing that you see over and over again is that uh, they get involved with us because we reach out to them, we love them, we help them with a number of different things. They hear about Jesus in the course of all of our events and activities. Uh, But what really strikes home with them is who we are. And they'll meet Len, and Len is really a nice guy. You know, Len is such a fun person and and uh, really helpful. And then they meet, you know, Bob Woods over here. And, you know, Bob's pretty good. Uh, Bob is a nice guy, too. Heck, you know. And Carrie Woods, she's nice, too. Good grief, you know. And, and then they meet, they meet all these Christians. And they're all nice. It's amazing, you know. And they reach out. They love us. And they begin to think, there's something real about this. There's something true here. There's something good. And then they begin to reconsider Jesus in a whole new way. And that's certainly true in terms of our mission. Just who we are. Who you are day by day is a significant part of this. A second thing here that stands out to me is is that we're secure. Interesting. Uh, Verse 6, he says, you know, I'm convinced that the, the work that God started in you, he'll complete. He'll carry on and complete it until the day Jesus returns. And then you see Paul's words here in 19. He's He expects to be delivered through their prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit. And in the the end of this little section in 27, he says, You don't need to be intimidated by those who oppose you. Um, He had just a tremendous confidence, and he was passing this on to them again. Be confident. Don't worry. God has called you to this mission And you can be confident. You can be confident because God is with you. Or more properly, I think, and this is how I think of this day by day, because I get to walk along with Jesus day by day and help him. And he's there. And as long as he's there, I'm in good shape. (laughs) I can be confident because as long as he's there, things will be okay. Uh, Some of you know that Mary and I and our children lived in Ukraine for a few years, uh, helping begin the international or the, the student movement in Ukraine. But living in Ukraine was a fascinating experience for a lot of reasons. Um, two that came to my mind was that on one hand, I had never been independently wealthy before in my life. And in Ukraine, I felt independently wealthy 
Uh, I remember we saw this full-length silver fox fur coat. You may hate anybody who wears fur, I apologize. But this, this beautiful fur coat, and women over there wear fur coats. Uh, and, you know, in the United States, this thing would cost a fortune. Uh, over there, it was like $200. And Mary said, should I buy this? And uh, we ultimately decided no. But the fact is, we said, should we buy this? We could buy this. It was amazing. <laughs> and, uh, but we were sort of independently wealthy in this country that was so broken and in trouble. Uh, it gave you a, an amazing sense of confidence, that power that your wealth brought at that point. The other thing that struck me was I had an American passport. And I was not a citizen of that country. I was a citizen of this other country that was much bigger, much more powerful. And I had all of the power of this other country behind me. Uh, and to be an American citizen in a situation like that is something everybody over there uh, envies. Because what is behind you, what you are a part of, uh, I think that's what Paul is feeling and what he wants us to feel here. We are so secure because we're, as he will say in a, in a couple sentences on here, you're citizens of heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there. And you're secure. You're called to a mission as a visitor to this place. You're a pilgrim just passing through, as the song says, and you're free, really, to take risks. You're free to really give your life and see what God will do in the process. Last thing, though, that he says here about our mission that I think is interesting. Uh, in verse 29, he says, It's been granted to you not simply to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for him. I just told you you're secure, or he just told us we're secure. But now he says, it's granted to you to also suffer for Jesus. For Paul, he's sitting in prison. He's been beaten multiple times. He has very specific uh, suffering he's thinking about. And the Philippians have been persecuted. And uh, there are a small minority of weird people in this culture as Christians. And they have some very specific sort of suffering that they're going through. Uh, but... The theme through all of scripture is that to follow Jesus is going to cost you something. It will cost you your life ultimately. And we are called to be what? We're called to be Christians. We're called to be followers of Jesus. We're imitating who? We're imitating Jesus. And Jesus left heaven. He came here. He lived a life of giving himself away and finally gave his life away for us. That is the pattern of mission. That's the pattern for every missionary. It's the pattern for every Christian is to live the incarnation of Jesus. It strikes me that we will not fulfill the mission of reaching the homeless families in Lawrence, Kansas, if we simply read about it in the bulletin and think that's a good idea. You know, uh, we will not 
help the people in our own congregation who are uh, without jobs if when we hear about it, we simply say, oh, that's really sad. Uh, We will not reach our neighborhoods unless we make it a priority to talk to our neighbors. Uh, We will not reach our co-workers unless we love these people and make them a priority in life to be a missionary at work, to talk to them, to love them, somehow share the gospel, the good news with them. Uh, And this is the worst part. We will not fulfill the mission by simply listening to this sermon. We'll we'll fulfill our mission when we give our lives away. Uh, It'll cost us our money. It'll cost us our time. Uh, It'll cost us some risk. And it will never be convenient. Uh, Ministry is never convenient. It means putting yourself aside and doing something for somebody else. Uh, And like Jesus, like Paul, like the Philippians, it strikes me that our mission is every day of our life. It's every day of your life until you die. This is your purpose. Uh, It's work days. It's holidays. It's vacation days. It's even Sundays. (laughs) Today is a mission day. Uh, We're never off the job, ultimately. Uh, We don't know what our part will look like. I don't know what your part will look like. Uh, I'm not your mission director. You're sent by Jesus. He will decide what doors he opens for you what part you will play ultimately. Of course, I think you should all be reaching out to international students, but it's what the Lord tells you to do, obviously. Uh, But no matter, it's just such a privilege. You know, Jesus has called you to this privilege of being a blessing. Genesis 12. His talk with Abraham. You're called, you're blessed to be a blessing. What a great thing to give your life to. To help Jesus do his work in this world. That is your purpose. That is who you are, ultimately. To see God's power working around you, in you, through you. That is the intention. Is that you should see God's power through you. Accomplishing incredible things, living for this mission, and finally dying, continuing to do that mission, and showing up at the gates of heaven and having Jesus say, well done, you did it. That's the party. Retirement is after you die, you realize. It's not before you die. So the question is, or the two questions were, who are you? Grace, EPC, and the second one is, who are you individually? Uh, I have 11 minutes on my kitchen timer left, so I'm going to tell you one more story. I have a brother-in-law named Chris, married to my wonderful sister, Shelly. Gave me a 10-minute warning. And uh, Chris is a... Disguised as a mild-mannered metropolitan optometrist uh, in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia. And uh, 
Chris was invited by somebody somewhere along the lo- somewhere along the way to go for a run, and so he went for a run with this person, and uh, he kind of liked it, and so. Then he went for another run with another person, and then he decided he would start running for exercise. And so he started running uh, around the track by their house uh, every so often. And then he started uh, getting carried away, and he took his running stuff to work. And, that, and then he started running every lunchtime at work. And then he got really carried away and he started running 5K runs. Ridiculous amount of running, I think. And then he ran a half marathon. And then he ran a marathon. And then he ran another marathon. And he's running in the Boston Marathon again this year. And what, what happened to Chris is that he discovered he was a runner. And he never knew it. He's great at this. He discovered he was a runner. Have you discovered that you're a missionary is my question. Have you discovered that you're a missionary? If you haven't, as you begin to do that, you'll you'll find out that you really are. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the call from the Lord He intends to do wonderful things through you individually, but also here, us. Have we discovered that we're a mission team, a missionary group? Uh, I want people to talk about Grace EPC not because we have a new sanctuary, but because of what God is doing through us as a church. Uh, And I'm sure that's what the Lord wants as well. I hope you'll leave here today as a missionary on Sunday and that you'll wake up tomorrow. I know it's hard to remember what that person talked about on Sunday, but I hope tomorrow morning you wake up thinking I'm a missionary today and that you'll live this next week as a missionary and see what the Lord will open up and do through you. Let me pray for us here. Well, Lord, I know Paul wrote this letter to his friends in Philippi, but at the same time, I know that you've written it to us. And behind Paul stands you, Lord Jesus, writing to us. And you are our example of what it means to live, your example of who we are as a group and individuals. And you've called us to be a mission team, to be salt and light and really make a difference. Thank you that that's our destiny. Thank you that this week we can expect good things because of you and the fact that we simply get to walk along with you this week and see what will happen. Help us do that, please. And Father, in the midst of this too, we come to you as as just us, no one special, obviously, and There are a lot of things uh, that we have to thank you for this week, that uh, the way you've carried us through this past week, and um, things you're teaching us, the way you've forgiven us, the way you've not thrown us away when we we disappointed you, the way you've helped us uh, mend relationships that were tense this week. 
the way you've taken care of us and provided for us. And Lord, you know what things people are carrying here this morning that are really on our hearts that we need your help for. We feel guilty and we need you to correct us. We need you to discipline and change us, but we also feel helpless in some situations. And Lord, you know you're our only hope. Thank you that we can come to you and lay these these burdens in your lap, Lord, and, and know that you are with us in the midst of these things. Help any of our brothers or sisters who are struggling, Lord, to really be able to trust you this week with what uh, they're going through. Lord, we would pray for Mark Williams' dad as he's having this quadruple bypass. Be with Mark and the family. Encourage them, help them to trust you. And please do give the doctors uh, wisdom and ability, technical ability at simply doing this delicate operation. Lord, for Al and Connie and the whole Reynosa team in Mexico, please watch over them. Give them just a wonderful week of mission together. Father, and pray that they would really be a blessing to that orphanage and those kids, to each other, and watch and keep them, Father, in this whole trip down and back. Do pray for Bill and Karen as they travel, and with his parents, I know they are are both uh, quite old and in and, and difficult health, so please be with that situation, Lord Jesus. Let your grace be seen with them. And we can't help but uh, pray for Japan, Lord. Uh, and all the suffering that's happening uh, there right now. I know that many Christian churches are doing wonderful work there right now, really giving themselves and going, helping with the cleanup, sending money and gifts. And I pray you'd use our brothers and sisters there, Father, to really proclaim your glories uh, in the midst of that suffering and that you would bring good out of this uh, terrible suffering event that's happened there for these people. And especially we pray for Roger and Sharon Hack, our parts of our body that are there, Lord Jesus. And Roger is helping with those things. And uh, just ask that you'd watch over them and be with them in the midst of this time. And, uh, you know, we just bring all of this to you, Lord, and say thank you again just for choosing us as your children, choosing us and sending us as, as your ones that are set apart to do your work in the world. And we just give ourselves to you for that again for this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please stand and I'll uh, share one last good word from the Lord for us before we end. And it comes from the last part of this letter that Paul wrote. And it says this, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, here it is now, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen.